Here we are uh, on the eve of a brand new year, and one of the things looking forward that uh, I'm overtly aware of for all of us culturally is this uh, kind of mindset of resolutions, this mentality of uh, setting New Year's resolutions, setting goals, uh, having vision, and I love goal setting, and I love uh, vision casting, and, and most people start their year with some kind of... Uh, with some kind of resolution. And they uh, find some things in their lives. We find some things we want to change. I want to take the stairs instead of the elevator. I want to, you know, eat carrots instead of candy bars. You know, we all have these things that we want to do. Most of them are inevitably health-related, and all of them are self-centered. Uh, and so the, we cast these things out, and we go, here's what I want to do. Uh, we even sometimes look at the end of the year and go, how do I want to be? What difference do I want to make? And then we walk it back, and we make those changes. And I've even been here and, and talked about the Kaizen way and how we have minor, small changes that have lasting impacts. But we know regardless of how great the message is and how, uh, how much pressure we put on one another to create and to fulfill resolutions, we know statistically 40% of people who start New Year's resolutions in them by the end of January. So we start strong, we end very fast. We know statistically 75% stop by Valentine's Day. So 75% of the resolutions that you're thinking about starting will inevitably end by February, but I'm not worried about that. We know that. Because year after year, we've tried to make changes, and we've done really well for a short period of time, and just like me trying to run, I can do it really well for half a mile. After that, I'm shot. We're just done. So I'm not worried about the 75%, and what I know is that 75% is not in this room anyway. I'm talking to the 25%. I'm talking to the 25% of people who keep their resolutions, who make those changes. I'm optimistic. We keep those changes. We make the difference, and when I'm talking to the 25%, what I want to know is if you've started a resolution and I know you're going to stick with it, what difference has it made in your life? We can create resolutions, but how have they changed us? What's the end result for us? Let's say you decide to eat carrots instead of candy bars. All year, lose a little bit of weight, you feel a little better. But what real change has transpired that impacts the lives of the people around you? You take the stairs instead of the escalator, fantastic, your, your quads are looking better, and you, know, you can talk without you know, having to take an extra breath or whatever, and then those look great. But what lasting impact do those resolutions make on the world, on your world? I'm not worried about those who fail to fulfill their resolutions. We can change a lot of things and be different but we're being formed by Christ in the process. Are we being different and is that better? Different is not always better. Different sometimes is worse. You can make changes in your life. Resolutions, stick with them, beat the odds and not be better for it. The people around you not be more like Christ in the process. This new year, you and I have the opportunity. We can right our wrongs and we can love what we hated and we can uh, do what we've yet to do and, and we have a clean slate and a fresh start and our lives are a blank slate and a new journey that's waiting to be written and whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. But are we becoming more like Christ in the process of making these changes or are we just trying to be better versions of ourselves? See, I believe God wants to do something new in our lives today. And new is not always better. I've had the new iPhone that keeps crashing, and I've had the new car that broke down all the time and had all the bugs not worked out. New is not always better unless it's from Christ. And in Isaiah 43, 18, it says, do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. 
Look, I'm about to do something new even now. It is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I love this passage, and I think it, it's so fitting in the final the finality of our year to go, okay, uh, I like to take account of my past and then table it. I like to go through all of the things, good and bad, and then I like to shelve it. I like to put it away. Scriptures say, don't remember the things of the past. Let's look forward to what God wants to do. This passage in the Bible is speaking to a people who were oppressed. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, and God delivered them from slavery. God was encouraging them to forget the former things, and let's move forward. The good things, the bad things. And I think the reason this applies to us so well is because even the miracles that God had done for them in the past were nothing compared to what God wanted to do in the future. Even the things that God has done for you and I that were good this past year pale in comparison to what he wants to do in our lives in the future. Even the things that God has done through you that were good pale in comparison to what he wants to do. And often we hang out in the past. Well, this is how things have been. This is how we should do them. This is how I should do them. This is why we have such a hard time uh, making resolutions and sticking with change because we are creatures of habit, all of us. No matter how much you gravitate towards change, we all still resist it at some level. And we fall into patterns that's uh, psychological and, and, and practical and, and our brain loves the familiar. And so we inevitably slide back into the past. And I think God wants to remind us that if we forget the past, we're able to embrace the future, the past, uh, the future rather builds upon the past, your past successes and failures help set us up for future successes. And I believe this passage is reminding us today that we've all been through some kind of impression. We've all been a slave to sin, but God wants to deliver us and he wants to set us up for success in the future. We can forget the former things. We don't dwell on them. We can trust that God wants to do something new moving forward, but we have to want the new. We have to embrace the new. We have to accept the new. We have to be willing to beat the odds, to break out of old habits and old patterns and old mentalities, to desire something new. New isn't always better unless it's from God. Change isn't always good unless it's causing us to be more Christ-like. And I think that's the problem that I have with uh, New Year's resolutions. I'm not trying to pick a fight with them. I'm just saying the issue that I have with New Year's resolutions is that they don't make us better necessarily for everyone. And a lot of them are so self-focused and so self-centered that they might make us better, but are we being better for the people around us? What are you doing today that will help you be better for the people around you tomorrow, that this year can be whatever you want it to be? And I think that's the beauty of a new year. We can make it whatever we want. We can aim towards this goal, and we can work towards that goal, and if we continue to do the same thing we've always done, though, we're going to continue to get the same results. And a lot of us are spinning wheels. One year just rolls into the next, and we're not intentional with our time and our energy and our efforts, and and it just sort of becomes a mirror image of last year. However, instead of making a a long list of things that we want to change, instead of even making a list of one thing, which is what I've encouraged uh, people to do for years, there's a beautiful book called The Kaizen Way, and it does uh, narrow down one thing you want to change, micro changes, which have big impacts. Instead of doing all of that, What I want us to do is I want us to do one single thing that will actually change the trajectory of all the other things that we want to do. 
Meaning if you choose to take the stairs over the elevator, fantastic. I love fitness and health and I think it's very important. But the why behind that changes how often you'll do that. You want to treat your family better. You want to be more compassionate to your neighbors. Great. But the why behind that will change how long you do that. What I want to do is I don't want to tackle the behavior. I want us to tackle the why. I want to get the underpinning, the, the, the foundation of our lives. And if we'll change one single thing, it will have impact in everything we do. And that one single thing that I feel like every single one of us should change and have room to grow in is prayer. You can decide to be a healthier version of you, but if we'll start with prayer, the reason you want to be healthier all of a sudden shifts. Well, I want to be healthier because I want to be around for a long time, and I want to preach the gospel, and I want to show love and compassion, and I want to be generous, and I want to help people around us. It's no longer about being healthier. It's now about spreading the gospel. When we put prayer at the center of everything we do, when it's the one single change that you and I choose to make, it changes everything. It reframes the why behind whatever you want to do. I want to treat my family better. Great, that can only go so far. But if the reason you want to treat them better is because you want to point them to Christ, you want to raise future generations of people who love and fear the Lord, then all of a sudden the why is what pushes us past the the, the 75%. It pushes us into that 25%. We make long-lasting changes, but it has to start with prayer. When prayer is our focus, it reframes the rest of our lives. It puts Jesus at the center of whatever we do. It changes the why. And most of our resolutions are for self, but if we'll make prayer an essential part of our lives moving into the new year, then it actually causes us to live for others. That prayer is the critical spark that brings life into your homes and into our church. Prayer is not one more activity. It's not a, I'm going to walk to work. It's not a, I'm going to eat this and not that, and I'm going to do this instead of that. Prayer is not an activity, but it is a, a life pattern that we create. It's at the heart of everything that we should do as followers of Christ. And I know we pray. In fact, when polling uh, the world, everyone by and large prays, right? Every uh, known religion has uh, prayer as a focus, whether it's uh, bowing to Mecca or whether it's, you know, whatever different patterns and behaviors and whoever they're praying to, uh, by and large, everyone prays. There's an argument atheists will pray in the right circumstances. Regardless, prayer is uh, at the forefront of every known religion. I'm not talking about you praying more. I'm not talking about me praying more. But I'm talking about us praying more. What does it look like for us as a church to pray? Not more individual prayers, not that we shouldn't, and we all have room to grow in our individual prayers, but corporate prayers, us praying together, not me praying from a microphone attached to my ear like I'm a pop star, not Taylor uh, praying more from her microphone behind a guitar, but what does it look like for us as a church to pray Say, well, I'm not, I'm not good at prayer. I'm not articulate. doesn't matter. What does it look like for you to pray? In a corporate setting, in a room like this, along with us, what does it look like for us as a church? Because what I believe to be true is that corporate prayer reinforces and props up and strengthens individual prayer. And I think the problem that, that we've experienced so long as followers of Christ is that we push individual prayer. And at the beginning of the year, I look back, and, and I think we've started with 21 days of prayer uh, for the last four years, and, and it's largely been to prop you and me up as individuals to pray on our own at, at certain times and spaces, and, and, and I think that's great, and you know you should pray. If you follow Christ any amount of time, you know 
you're supposed to pray. But what does it look like for us to pray? To create a culture as a church where prayer is not something we do, but it's who we are. The early church would never imagine a prayer meeting. It wouldn't imagine a, a, a prayer night because prayer was at the heart of what, it was not what they did, it was why they gathered. And over the, the centuries, without going into history uh, and boring you more, uh, we've changed church to look different. And I'm not saying we're going to wildly overhaul or alter uh, the, the, the way we do church, but I want to infuse this idea that you pray, I pray, we pray together. We pray for one another, we pray corporately, we pray individually, and, and all of a sudden it starts to snowball where us praying together strengthens me praying alone and you praying alone. And, and I know that we have to pray together. And unless the entire church prays together, individual prayer loses its steam. The prayer should be something we do instead of something I do. And in Acts 2, we find a verse that I know I've spoke on several times. And, and it's really the, the underpinning of our community groups. And it's the, the why behind um, our community group gatherings but if you look in Scripture, most translations of the Bible actually give it a headliner, uh, something like church growth, and, and it actually gives us the formula for growing as a community of faith, for growing as a church. And in verse 41, it says, those who accepted this message were baptized. In that day, about 3,000 people were added to them, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles, and now all the believers were there together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joy, uh, a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. When we ask the question why, why this, why this church, why do we gather, why do we follow Christ, the simple short answer is that we add people to the kingdom of heaven, that we invite people to the knowledge of who Jesus is, that we see people saved, as cliche or uh, churchy as the word saved is, when you begin to break it down, we need saving, saving from ourselves, saving from sin. The end goal is that we see people come to know Christ. And so when we look at our numbers and we go, we've added 4% uh, to our attendance on, on a regular basis, uh, we, we want to look at salvations. Are people being saved from sin? Are they being saved from a selfish life? We had uh, one baptism this year. We had one last year. Can we have two next year? Can we have three next year? What does God want to do? The end goal is for us to increase heaven, not just to be better versions of ourselves, and so much of culture, especially this time of the year, pushes you to be better. You to go to the gym more because gyms need membership. You to eat healthier because health food needs to sell more product. And you become better versions of yourself all the while, leaving everyone else behind. And I can pray more. And I've been encouraged and inspired and I've been uh, reading more on prayer. And, and I can pray more and I can be the strongest prayer in this church and leave everyone else. But that's not the goal. The goal isn't for you to be the strongest prayer in this church, to be more fervent and to pray better prayers and more articulate and stronger and see God move in your life if it's leaving everyone else behind. That this isn't us, church. Embrace is a church for us. It's a corporate gathering of people who are struggling and, and, and succeeding together. 
And the early church would have looked at us and gone, what are you doing? It's the togetherness. And I feel like we have room to grow in this area. In verse 44, it says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. This simple sentence describes unity. It describes us binding together. Now, we're not going to bind together around musical taste. We're not going to bind together around style or or movie choices. We're not going to bind together around opinions. We can bind together around the reality that Christ is Lord, and he's invited you and I to go spread the word, that we need to see people come to know Christ. They prayed together. They carved out time to be together with the sole purpose of prayer. Praying in a corporate setting, though, it feels a little weird. It's a little uncomfortable, especially if you're a quiet person or if you're uh, shy or if you're not comfortable. Not everyone wants to stand on a platform and, 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 and pray out loud and not everyone feels comfortable using the right words. And what if I mess up? And what if I say the wrong thing or pray the wrong thing? What if my theology is weird or whatever? But praying together, it's uncomfortable at first, but the more frequently we allow the opportunity, the more frequently we take advantage of the opportunity, the, the, the more comfortable it becomes, that we often feel like we have to be well-spoken and articulate, but God just wants us to be obedient. He just wants us to step out. And we all think people are judging us, right? If I get in my head, this becomes really hard for me to do. And I have to kind of get out of my head and go, well, I'm just going to be obedient to God and, 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 and present the word that I feel like he's, he's given me to give to, uh, to those in this room. There are people more qualified than me. There are people more seasoned in their faith than me in this room. But I'm just going to be obedient. And we get outside of our head, and then we find that God begins to move us. And I think a lot of us operate within our comfort zone, and, and we end up shying back. And, and so if there's an opportunity to pray, we go, well, I'll let someone else do that. There's somebody better suited for that. There's somebody more articulate, more well-read somebody with a better relationship with God, somebody who prays more often. And, and so I'll let them do that. I'll just step back. And so in meetings and in spaces and in rooms and in Sunday school and whatever, when there's an opportunity to pray, we default to everybody else. But what does it look like for us to go, well, that's, that's me. God hasn't called one or two of us to pray. He's called all of us to pray. And 2024 won't be greater because of good luck or good intentions. It won't be greater because uh, we hope it's better or we tried really hard. 2024 will be better for us as a church and better for us as followers of Christ because of hard work, because of time, because of attention, because of connection with God and, and the people around us, discipline and sacrifice and hard work. They produce strong results. And Acts 2 is describing the hard work, the difficult work, the time-consuming sacrifices required. And then it describes the reward. God added to their number daily. They grew by leaps and bounds. What does it look like for us to make prayer priority? Not your prayer, but us praying as a church together. What does it look like for us to create more spaces and more opportunities not to listen to a speech or a sermon or a talk or, or, or share even our own thoughts in Bible studies, but what does it look like for us to merely gather with the sole purpose of reaching heaven through prayer? Crying out to God, petitioning God on behalf of ourselves and others, not more individual prayer, but corporate prayer. And starting next Sunday, we're going to enter 21 days of prayer. And uh, we'll, we'll encourage you, I'll encourage you to, to pray for, for 21 days. And, 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 and it'll be uh, a lot of centered, uh, conversations centered on prayer, what that looks like for us to pray, and kind of moving us out of this, I don't know how to do it, or I don't know if I do it right, or whatever. But what I want to do today is I want us to get us prepared for that. I want us to get organized. 
if you were to go on a trip and uh, you were going to be gone for a couple of weeks, you wouldn't just wake up that day and go, well, let's go. You would need time to pack, to organize. Most of us would organize for weeks at a time. Some of you would pack the night before, but we're not judging you. What I'm saying is we need to prepare. And I believe God is going to take us on a journey, a 21-day journey together where prayer is the focus. But we need to pray or we need to prepare. And I believe all great movements of the kingdom began with low and slow prayer. Nothing fancy, nothing flashy, nothing exciting other than us choosing to immerse ourselves in the practice of prayer. People gathering to pray together, even when they don't feel like it, even when it's not convenient. If we truly believe that our church needs to grow and our community needs to be saved, then prayer will not be an option for us. It won't be a, well, I don't know. It'll be a, this is what has to be done. This is what must be done. That if we believe that our city needs Jesus, then prayer won't be an option for us. Then walking out the, the, uh, the obedience that Christ has called us to won't be uh, situational. That God does all things in answer to prayer. So we have to ask, what are we praying for? That so much of our prayer life is centered around the cause or the effect of something. So much of my prayer life is an aftermath. This happened and I don't want to see it happen again. This happened and I want out of this situation. I did this and I don't want that to be the, uh, the, the end result. And so much of it is backwards that what God wants us to do is to become intentional. That I want us to create a, a, a plan to pray with movement. Pray with movement. So much of my prayer life gets stuck. I'll pray, stuck. Pray, stuck, and it's always because I'm praying for what's happening. I don't feel good. God, make me better. That person's sick. God, make them better. But what does it look like for us to get ahead of it? To start praying in the future. God's the God of the future. We can hear from God who's already in the future, and we can begin to hear from him, and we can begin to pray for the future. We don't have to wait. We can get ahead of it. And so here's how I feel like uh, we should get organized, and this is not a hard and fast rule, but I feel like in a way for us to get organized, we need to create uh, prayer cards. Prayer cards are not something I've ever done before, uh, but I've started, uh, I've had prayer journals and so on, but a prayer card, uh, three by five, maybe it's on your phone, but I like to get away from technology as often as I can. And so um, it's an opportunity for us to have specific things that we can bring with us into prayer that help prayer move and not be stuck. And so if you have a piece of paper or pencil or if you want to pull your phone out and get your notes app, I want to give you three things that I think are essential as we create prayer cards. The first one is going to be vision. So if you want to write vision down uh, on your notes app or on, you right on the back of a connect card or a, an offering envelope, it's fine. We've got plenty. Um, vision, strategy, and tactics. If you write these three things down, I want us, when we go to create a prayer card, I want us to have vision, I want us to have strategy, and I want us to have tactics. Vision, strategy, tactics. What does that mean? Vision shapes what comes after. All things start with vision. Vision is casting into the future. This is what I want to see. This is what needs to happen. This is the changes that I want to see make. This is what we want to have happen. Vision is what comes, uh, what shapes what comes after. Strategy is what makes vision possible. Tactics are the activities that we do to make the strategy happen. Vision, strategy, tactics. This helps keep movement 
in prayer. Often we get stuck in tactics. So many of our prayers are tactic prayers. Tactic prayers are are, are fine, but again, they're the aftermath, they're the after effect. Tactics uh, are important and they're essential, but without vision and without strategy, they lose the why. They lose the underpinning. And so this helps us keep movement going, that, that we don't pray to just resist problems, but we pray for the wisdom to avoid them. That we pray vision. So our vision may be uh, to raise godly children. You got a couple kids in here. I want to raise godly children. That is our vision. You can make that vision for your year. You can make that vision just for the day. But that's my vision. Our strategy is I'm going to spend time with them. Right? We know that we pass things down. Uh, not teach, but we, we share them. And so uh, the strategy is I'm going, to, I'm going to spend more time. The tactic is what we do in that time. What am I going to do? Last night I was up till about 11 o'clock, which is super late for me, playing video games with my, uh, with my I guess he's in ninth grade, so with Jude. Uh, and it was fun. It was great. I don't do it often, but it's, it's a way to spend time with him. But the tactic didn't necessarily move him closer to Christ, right? There was no strategy there. It was just time. Now he needs time, and that's fine, and that's a good way to do it. But it does open up the door. We came and played basketball, and there's room for conversation. So we have vision. I want to raise a godly family. We have strategy. I'm going to spend more time. I have uh, the tactic. Uh, This is what I'm going to do in that time. Our vision is to grow this church, to reach people for Christ. That's our vision. Our strategy, then, is building new friendships, Building relationships with people outside of the context of church or, or even outside of uh, another church, right? And then the tactic is, how do we move them, invite them into a relationship with Christ? What does that look like to, to move that friendship into uh, an actual uh, conversation about following Jesus? So many of us have acquaintances and friends that we've never really asked, do you, do you love Christ? Have you given your heart to Christ? And we keep these uh, these. Distant relationships, this tactics that move us, that changes, it shifts us. So this afternoon, uh, I want you to fill those things in. Fill in your vision. Fill in your strategy. Fill in your tactic. You can have football up. I will. Uh, and, 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 but, but take some time today, not tomorrow. Take some time today to fill in your vision, your strategy, and your tactic. But I want to create several cards. I think we should create multiple cards I think we should create cards for every prayer need or prayer request. So here's how I feel like this keeps movement, is that we're going to have a card for in. So if you want to write the word in down, I-N. We're going to have a card for out. We're going to have a card for up. So our main text will be vision, in, out, up. Strategy, in, out, up. Tactics, in, out, up. Or you can organize that any which way that you want. But we want to create a vision a strategy, and a tactic card for in. This is the inward changes that we want to make. What do you want to change in your life? So, well, I don't know. I don't know what I need to change in my life. Well, you can ask your spouse, or uh, you can pray. I don't know what to pray for. Pray about it. God, what do you want me to pray for? How do I start? What do I write down here? It's prayer. It, we, we start with prayer. I don't even know how to start with prayer. We'll start with prayer. Just start talking to God. God, how do you want to do this? In, what do we need to change in our lives? There are things that we want to make changes in. We want to uh, read the scriptures more. We want to be kinder. We want to be more generous. Whatever that is. God, what do you want to change in me? This is the in. 
We have a vision. I'm going to read scriptures more. We're going to have a strategy. I'm going to wake up every day. I'm going to have a whatever tactic. And then all of a sudden we're praying these things down. Uh, maybe you need to see something happen in your life in health or, or, or whatever. This is our opportunity to petition God on behalf of us. And we should be really good at this, right? We should be very seasoned in praying for ourselves. So this one should not be a challenge. Vision, strategy, tactics for our inward life. The second thing is out. What do you want to change outside? What does God want to do outside of your life? What neighbor do you need to talk to? What relationship do you need to build? What uh, relationship do you need to mend? What things do you need or, or feel like God wants you to do outside of yourself? This is important. This can be as far as missions. It could be local. It could be the homeless. What is your vision? What do you care about? What, what concerns you? If you drive past and you see someone that's homeless and you think, I have compassion for them, this is your vision now. What do you want to do? What do you want to pray through? And then you have strategy. How are you going to make it work? How are you going to pray through the, the, the practicality and then the tactics? What's that look like? So now we have a uh, vision, strategy, and tactics for our lives. We now have vision, strategy, and tactics for outside. This could be our church. This could be our community. This could be the world. And then the third thing is up. What does God desire to do? All of this should be what God wants to do. But this is actually our opportunity to pray upward. Look up. What does God want to do through us? How does he want to use me? How does he, what does he want me to start this year? What does he want me to finish this year? What should I be working on? What should my time be spent towards? This is vision, strategy, and tactics that are God-centered. That if we truly understand that prayer is an essential part of our spiritual lives, then we have a responsibility to put more work, to put more time, to put more effort into it, and not just for the next uh, 21 days. So as, as, as the pastor, I, I want to make sure that we're continuing to reinforce this, that it's not just a sermon series. It's not just a cute way to start the year because most churches start year with prayer and it's 21 days because it's, you know, a perfect amount of time to, to get three week sermons in before you start the next thing. And so I don't want to make this uh, just another thing that's a hook. I want this to be the thing that we keep coming back to. When we come back to prayer, are we praying enough as a church? Are we, as individuals, praying enough? Are we as a corporation or as a corporate body praying enough? And so I want us to spend time praying together today. So I know I'm springing this on you, and some of you are like, I'm out already, and that's okay. I'm not asking for uh, anybody to overnight be ready to go. Uh, but here's what I do want to do. In the remaining uh, time that we have together, uh, I have a microphone set up here. And so there's no pressure there's no obligation. There's no judgment. So not a single person could desire to come up front and pray. And it doesn't mean I'm going to repeat the sermon next week. So uh, that won't happen. You can decide or not decide. You can be comfortable or you can decide to not be comfortable but do it anyway. No one could come up. Everyone could come up and we'll be here the rest of the night. So that's up to you too. I don't have plans. Here's the idea though is I want to create intentional space for us to pray. And you say, I'm not quite ready to pray, well, maybe there's a scripture that's on your heart. So uh, the microphone will be open for, uh, we're gonna maybe do about five to, to, to eight minutes, and so uh, you guys come on up, and so we'll create space. If you wanna read a scripture, this is not share time. We'll create space for that some other time. This is not uh, uh, prayer request time. This is prayer or scripture reading. And if that's you, and you say, well, I'd like to be a part of that, then, then I'd like to invite you in just a moment and we'll have some music playing and, and, and jump in. If that's not you, I'm okay, you're okay, I want you to pray where you are. 
There's no excuse not to pray. And so we want to create an environment and a space where we're all praying, whether it's in your seats or corporate. But I want us to spend the next few minutes, and maybe you want to fill out some of your vision and strategy and tactics. Maybe you want to spend some time just reflecting. I think as a church, we do such a poor job of just giving space. We feel like we have to fill the, the time that we have together because our time tends to be so limited. And so we fill it, pack it, cram it in, and then we don't breathe. And so I want to create space this morning. We'll receive communion and close in just a moment, but I want to open up the microphone and give us time and space. Taylor's going to sing a little bit. If you come up, she'll stop, and we'll just kind of work together. And it can be a little uh, messy, and that's okay. It's just us. It's just us here together. So I'm going to open up with prayer, and then I'm going to turn the microphone on and invite you to come and join me as well. Father, we thank you so much that you love us and you care for us. And you're moving us and you're encouraging us and you're stretching us and sometimes that's a little tough and yet, God, we know that as you stretch us, it's preparing us for something big and beautiful and so as a church, we want to be prepared for what you want to do. So Father, we thank you that you're moving in our hearts and our lives and we just ask that you be here now in Jesus' name. Together, but if anyone wants to come and pray, I'll stop. No need to uh, worry about disrupting anything. That's that's why we had this space. So if you feel led, please feel free to come pray. Um, but in the meantime, we can sing together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name, oh Jesus, the only one. 
just wanted to mention one scripture. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith, then I'll heal their land. it really um, just kept thinking back to what David was saying around like how often do we do we wait for for someone else to do the thing right and I think um, coming into you know this new year where we as a group have hundreds of new years combined together Lord um, I think just I pray that we can be intentional, that we can search and pray and that you will reveal to us, Father, the, the what is the thing? What is the thing that each of us have been waiting on somebody else to do? Um, what's the what's the thing that we've been waiting for that first hand to raise before we throw in on it? Um, when maybe we're supposed to be that first hand, we're supposed to be that first step or that first voice to, um, to raise up and say, yeah, let's do this. Or, let's, um, you know, lean in and help somebody in a different way. Um, yeah, I just pray that this this time that we will all be committed to uh, to being intentional, to being intentional with our time and to being intentional with the relationship we build. Um, Lord, just re- reveal to us the, the ways that you want each and every one of us to step out, um, to step out of our comfort zone, to step out of what it is that we think we want to do or think we're supposed to do, um, but lean into what it is you, you actually have for us to do. I'd like to read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, something the Lord was speaking to me about this week. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolish of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. For as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Father, I thank you that you have qualified us in our weakness. Thank you that everyone in this room is qualified to pray. We are qualified to preach. 
Christ crucified, not because we are good or worthy or noble or rich or smooth with our speech or have lots of wisdom, but because we hold weakness. And in our weakness, you are made strong and you show yourself glorified and you, 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 you do the kingdom work. You are working. Whether we see it, we feel it, you are working. So thank you, Father, that we have your scripture that's good and true. And again, that we just, we don't have to be good. We don't have to be lofty with our speech or have lots of wisdom, but that if we're just faithful and obedient to preach Christ crucified, that those around us would be impacted. And Father God, that many would be saved. Many would be added to the kingdom. Many would be added to our fellowship. Father, I pray that you would make us desperate. I pray that this American culture would fall away and that we would not be comfortable in the things that we have and the luxuries that are surrounding us, that we would be able to see you. God, would you make us weak and broken so that we would be desperate for you? Help us to repent. Help us to be on our knees and in our face broken before you so that we could be a people who sees you moving and is willing to be obedient for the sake of the gospel. Thank you, Father. everybody's prayers throughout this community and through um, lots of other places that I'm, I'm, I'm standing here today. Um, there's, the doctors told me that there's no reason that it should not have spread, and it didn't. Um, there's no reason that I shouldn't have had to have a major, major surgery, but I didn't. I know that that's just because of the the prayers of everyone um, that were able to um, to for the Lord to see that um, my work's not finished here on this earth, and um, I also ask the Lord that uh, He show me what what He wants me to do next. And um, that I can be obedient to that will. 